This is Surah Al-Fat, Surah number 48. This is a Madani Surah. And this Surah is going to have mention of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and the battle at Khaybar. And at the end, Allah SWT is going to mention some of the Sifat of Sahaba Ikram. There's a lot of historical details behind this, and it's difficult to understand. But this, uh, this Surah, unless we do those details, although normally we would have covered that in Sirah, these first two ayat of Qur'an al-Kareem which we just recited Inna fatahna laka fatham mubina Allah tells us in Qur'an that indeed we have granted you a clear and manifest victory The yagfil laka Allah so that Allah SWT may forgive you ma taqaddama min dhambika for any and all infractions that have passed wa ma ta'akhara and any that are yet to come وَيُتِمَّ نِعْمَتُهُ And then Allah Ta'ala may complete His favor alayka upon you, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He may guide you, Sirat Al-Mustaqimah, to the straight path. These are Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu said two of his favorite verses of Qur'an. In Hadith in Bukhari, in Hadith narrated in the Sahih Bukhari, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik narrates that after the peace treaty at Hudaybiyah, which I will explain in a moment what the context of that was, after the sulah and the negotiation that took place in Hudaybiyah and Sayyidina Rasulullah and the Sahaba were returning to Medina Manawra and they were sad because they were not able to perform Umrah, so Allah SWT then revealed these two verses of Qur'an al-Karim. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah he addressed the Sahaba saying, quote, that such a verses have been revealed to me which are more beloved to me than the entire world. And then he recited these two verses, verses 1 and 2 of Surah Al-Fat, Surah 48. And then Sahabi Karam told the Rasulullah when they heard the recitation, they were happy, and then they asked, what will happen to us after hearing these uh, two verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising a fatah mubin. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down verse number 5 so that Allah Ta'ala may admit the believing men and the believing women into gardens underneath which rivers flow and they will dwell therein forever and Allah Ta'ala will forgive for them all of their shortcomings and sins in the Lahi Fozan Adima, and indeed this is the great success in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, this is the occasion of revelation of this. Now, what is the account of the Sulah Hudaybiyah? So, again, this is a Madani Surah. After the Hijrah, about six years, as all of you remember, the Prophet and Sahaba were persecuted, prosecuted, and they had to leave Medina Manawra to go to, uh, leave Makkah and make Hijrah to Medina Manawra. In the sixth year after the Hijrah, in the month of Zikada, Sayyidina Rasulullah told the Sahaba that let's go to Makkah for Umrah, and things have overall calmed down, and we will wear ihram, we will not be carrying weapons, we will be taking the livestock, any of the sacrificial animals with us, and it will be clear to the Kufar of Quraysh that we have come just for the sake of Umrah. 
the Sayyidina Rasulullah took all the residents of Medina and told all of the Muslims who were living in nearby Atraf villages to join. And according to some narrations, this was 1,500 Sahaba took Ihram and took their sacrificial animals with them. And they proceeded to Makkah Mukarramah. On the way from Medina Manavra to Makkah Mukarramah, there's a place called Usfan. And there somebody with the name of Bishr ibn Sufyan, he met the Prophet and told him that the Quraysh have found out, Quraysh pagan unbelievers of Makkah Mukarramah found out of your plan, and they gathered at Zutawa. And when they gathered at Zutawa, they have sworn an oath that they will never let you and the Sahaba enter into Makkah Mukarramah. And they dispatched the great warrior Khalid ibn Walid. This is before Khalid ibn Walid has become a Muslim yet. They have dispatched Khalid ibn Walid and he has taken a contingent of cavalry and they are waiting to meet you at a place called Qura'ul Ghameen, which is again on the way to Makkah Makkah. So when this person informed Sayyidina Rasulullah of this, he didn't turn back. One reason is that because he had already taken the ihram and already made niyat. Another reason was yet to Allah SWT. Third reason, and this is a very delicate matter, but this is going to come up. Sometimes Nabiya Karim made a decision because revelation had not yet come to him. Point is that it's not that Allah SWT revealed to the Prophet to continue anyway. Nor did Allah Ta'ala reveal to the Prophet to come back. Sayyidina made his own decision, but obviously in his capacity as a Prophet, that is a special decision, but it was not a command from Allah Ta'ala to continue. Fair with Sayyidina decided to continue, but take another, which is not the normal route, to get to Mukarramah, to bypass this place where Khalid bin Walid and the cavalry were there. And this other route is more rocky, hilly terrain, and that goes through a place called Hudaybiyah. And Hudaybiyah is between Makkah Mukarramah and Jannah. And so Sayyidina Rasulullah went that route. So that's not the normal route to go. When the Khalid bin Walid and must have found out, so he was informed, so then he returned back to Makkah Mukarramah and said, okay, we will then meet them simply when they proceed from Hudaybiyah to Makkah Mukarramah. At Hudaybiyah, what happened was when the Prophet and the Sahaba reached there, they camped. And the camel of the Prophet sat down and refused to get up. Absolutely refused to move from its spot. So the Sahaba found it unusual. The Prophet camel had never done so. But here now, again, Allah Ta'ala didn't reveal this to the Prophet but it's part of his prophetic insight, his prophetic wisdom. So he realized that no, this is something that is unusual. Khilafi'ada. This is Allah SWT has made my camel stay. And he said that the being who stopped the elephants, which is referring to Surah Al-Fil and the elephants in the army of Abraha, that being who stopped the elephants from entering Makkah Mukarramah, that same being, yani Allah SWT, is stopping my camel here and not letting the camel get up. So, then Nabiya Kutusam knew that the Quraysh were going to resist his entry, so then he sent a message to the Quraysh, understanding this to be a sign of Allah SWT, that tell the Quraysh that today I will honor, I will. I am ready to make a deal and negotiate and treat with them for the sake of family. So he invoked, because he was from the Quraysh, so he sent a messenger. Meanwhile, while the Sahaba Ikram were waiting, just, there are several incidents that happened, I'll just tell you one. Meanwhile, the Sahaba Ikram were waiting at Hudaybiyah for the messenger to go to the Quraysh, for somebody here to come back, are they coming, are they not coming, right? And Hudaybiyah is a very rocky, hilly terrain where there's no water. And so the Sahaba told Sayyidina that there's no water for wudu, 
nor is there water for drinking, nor is there water for all these animals that we have brought, nor is there water for the camels that we are riding upon. So Sayyidina, and there are two incidents that happen. One is as far as the drinking water for the Sahaba Ikram. So the Prophet had some, I forget what you call that, a small water bottle type. There's a fancy word for this in English. Mishkiz, there's some word for that. Urdu also. Mishkiza, right? So Sayyidina Rasulullah had a bit of water left in that, which he poured in his cup, and then he put his fingers in it, and this is one of that miracles, that the water came out from the fingertips of Nabi Akram Sallallahu and all the Sahaba Kram came and they drank from that, and they were able to make wudu from that, and Sayyidina Jabir Badil he is narrated that there were 1500 Sahaba. Secondly, then there was the incident of the well, because you needed to draw a lot of water to make wudu, and to draw a lot of water for the drinking for the animals, so same thing that Sayyidina Rasulullah there was a wet there was a little water in the well at Hudaybiyah and then the Sahaba Ikram had already drawn all of that and the well had become dry. So when Sayyidina Rasulullah came to learn of this, he went to the well and he asked for a bucket of the water that they had already drawn to be brought for him. He added some of his blessed saliva to that water and then they threw that water back into the well and the Prophet told the Sahaba that leave the well for a bit of time and then they came back and they kept drawing bucket after bucket after bucket so that they all made wudu, all the animals were able to drink, all of their uh, needs were fulfilled. The narrative of this in the Bala ibn Adib he mentions that there are 1400 Sahaba. There's no discrepancy between this because neither of them were doing a head count Neither of them actually said this on the basis of a head count. It means roughly 1400 to 1500 Sahaba Ikram were there. Here then, the Quraysh sent a number of different emissaries back one after the other after receiving the message Badayl ibn Waraka, Muqarraz ibn Hafs, Hadith ibn al and Urwa ibn Masood al-Thaqafi as emissaries and envoys to Sayyidina Rasulullah Nabiya Karim Sallallahu first attempt with all of them was to tell them that we have not come for any military reason, we have not come to fight, we just want to come to do Umrah. But because the Quraysh had told them that no, the Prophet just cannot enter. For whatever reason, because we have taken this oath, that he cannot enter Makkah Mukarramah, and if we let him enter, then this will be an indication of our weakness. This will make people think that we are weak and we have renounced on our oath. So there's absolutely no way that we will allow the Prophet to come. If he tries to come, then Khalid ibn Walid, the cavalry, the army, the infantry will all be waiting to repel the Prophet This is also that incident that one of those emissaries, Urub ibn Masood, when he was there, he saw how much love the Sahaba Ikram had. And it's mentioned in the books that the Sahaba Ikram were picking up the water that was left over from the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ and picking up the hairs that were coming out from his beard. So when Ur bin Masood, he went back to the Quraysh, he said to them that I have been to the royal courts of the Kaiser in Rome and the Khusro in Persia and even the Najis in Abyssinia, Ethiopia. I've never seen the followers of any leader have so much love and devotion for the leader as his companions have for him. You should consider well if you really want to fight him because his companions will never desert him until the end. This is mentioned because this is also nisbat with the surah because in the surah there's a lot of fazail of sahaba that are going to come in the end. So in this whole incident of Hudaybiyah you find you will see a lot of fazail of the sahaba ikram. Here, then after the emissaries who had come weren't accepting. So then Sayyidina Rasulullah said okay well they have 
they don't have much negotiation power. They are saying whatever their leaders have told them. So then I will send someone to the leaders, you know, Abu Sufyan and other leaders of Quraysh and Makkah Makarama. So Sayyidina Rasulullah first decided to send Sayyidina Umar. Sayyidina Umar went to the Prophet and said, I'm not the right person for this because my tribe, Banu Adi, is not in Makkah Makarama. They will not, therefore I will not have any protection. And the Quraysh hate me. <laughs> they can't stand me. So they will not be happy to see me in Garbaroga. <laughs> If I go, and maybe I may not be able to hold myself back as a peaceful negotiator. So Sayyidina Umar recommended the Prophet to send Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan in his stead. And the Prophet agreed. Again, this is another thing I'm telling you, that Nabi Akram was making these decisions, not on the basis of Allah Taala's revelation, but on what we did yesterday or day before on Shura. In consultation. And so the ultimate executive decision would be made by the Prophet But one great aspect of the Sahaba through this whole incident is their shura. And that this is one also aspect of what we call the Muafiqat Umar. Muafiqat Umar means those ayahs that were revealed according to his rai. But you can find Muafiqat Umar in the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah as well. That the Prophet would decide on the basis of Sayyidina Umar. Shura, so they sent Sayyidina Uthman bin same thing, Sayyidina Uthman then went, went to Makkah Makarama, met Abu Sufyan, met the leaders of the Quraysh, said that we just want to make the Waaf and Umrah, we are not come for any other reason whatsoever. But again, the Quraysh said the same thing, that we have made this oath, and all the Arabs know we have made this oath, that we will not let you enter Makkah, there is no way we can renege on our pledge, and we will be publicly humiliated. Then what they did is they detained Sayyidina Uthman, they imprisoned him, they wouldn't, well they detained him, they wouldn't let him go back. And then news spread, and this is unclear in the books whether they deliberately spread this news, or some munafik spread this news, but somehow the Muslims, Sahaba Kram and the Prophet at Hudaybiyah, they received the news that Sayyidina Uthman was killed, assassinated by the Kufar of Quraysh. So when Sayyidina Rasulullah heard that, uh, and again, at this point, Allah Ta'ala did not tell him that this was a false news. When he heard that, and he heard that they've killed Sayyidina Uthman, who was a negotiator sent in peace and diplomacy, and also was a very beloved uh, son-in-law and otherwise beloved to Sayyidina Rasulullah. So now Sayyidina Rasulullah told the Sahaba that now we will do jihad. And we won't go back to Medina Munawrah. Now we change niyats, and we're not here for Umrah. We're going to make jihad. And he took a bayah from them. And this is known as bayat al-jihad. And the words in hadith are called bayat al-al-mawt. He took a pledge from Sahaba Ikram that they will fight until the very end. Al-al-mawt means that until the very end, even death should overcome them. They will not turn back. Now, outwardly, apparently, if this decision had been allowed to carry through, then what would have happened that Sayyidina Rasulullah and these all these great Sahaba would have been martyred unless Allah Ta'ala's Nusrat would come again like Badr in the form of angels, but outwardly they had not even come with proper weapons. And unless something like Badr would have happened, this would mean that Deen of Islam would have finished because when Sahaba, these great Sahaba and the Prophet would be martyred. So, khair, but Allah Ta'ala was so happy at this jihadi jazba. It's very important. Even Allah is not going to let this happen. And Allah SWT technically you can say is not going to agree with this decision. But he was so pleased with their jihadi jazba that Allah SWT in Quran has said that Allah SWT indeed was happy with the mu'mineen. When they gave bear to you under a tree, that's because there was this tree 
uh, in Hudaybiyah underneath which the Prophet for the shade called the Sahaba Ikram for this bayah. And this is why this is called Bayatul Ridwan because Allah Ta'ala mentioned his Ridwan, his pleasure for the Sahaba, his immense pleasure for the Sahaba at making this bayah. And sometimes the Sahaba were there, known as Ashabu Shajara. And Sayyidina Uthman ibn Nifal, in his lifetime, he would feel sad that he wasn't, that he was detained in Makkah Makarma, that he didn't have the Sahaba to be there for that bayah. But it comes in a date that Sayyidina Rasulullah put two hands in the bayah, one for himself and one representing, he had thought Sayyidina Uthman was shaheed, one representing Sayyidina Uthman. So, here, so later on, the Sabakram will learn that the news of the assassination is false. In any case, when the Quraysh had detained Sayyidina Uthman, then they sent another person, now another, maybe fourth or fifth emissary now, his name was fifth emissary, Suhail ibn Amr, to negotiate some deal with the Muslims. But again, one thing that they would not waver on was that the Sahabakram and the Prophet could not enter into Makkah this year. So when Suhail ibn Amr came and then he, he told them that no, no, Sayyidina Usman has not been assassinated, he's just been detained. So then Sayyidina Rasulullah made a treaty. In, in many, in several hadiths in Bukhari, in Muslim, in Abu Dawood, there are many different clauses that are mentioned for this treaty and many incidents mentioned about the writing of that treaty. So first, here, it's a long story, but in two hadith in Sahih Muslim, there's one that the Prophet began with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and Suhail objected to that and said, no, you should write Bismillahumma, that in your name, O Allah, because they also had this concept of one of their multiple gods, was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the Prophet said that in the name of, uh, I'm Muhammad Rasulullah, and he said, no, write Muhammad ibn Abdullah, and Sayyidina Ali ibn was the Katib, he refused to erase, he couldn't strike it out, but the Prophet forced him to ordered him to strike it out. And then Ibn Kathir in his famous history book Al-Bidai when Nahai has gathered all of the clauses mentioned in the Hadith and Bukhari Muslim Abu Dhu together so they totaled 10 in number. So what was the treaty was based on the 10 points. Number one that no war, no fighting will take place for 10 years. So 10 years ceasefire between and this is all after Badr and Uhud and all of that. 10 years ceasefire. Second, anybody who defects from the Quraysh to the Prophet means accepts Iman or goes to Medina Manawra without the consent of the elder of his clan or tribe will have to be returned back to Makkah. The Muslims will have to return them back. However, the opposite won't be true if there's anybody, Alhamdulillah, this does not happen, but if there's anybody from the Muslims who chooses to apostate and go back to the Quraysh, defect back, then they don't have to be returned. Fourth Arabic words are that there should be a sealed bag between us. Sealed bag is an expression that different ulama have disagreed. Some say that it means there won't be any animosity between us, that we've now patched up our hearts, and now the matter is sealed. There won't be any any animosity, hostility between us. Others have said that uh, sealed bag means that we forgive, there will be no vengeance and retribution for what has gone past. We have sealed the matter. Five, that there will also not be any stealing or harming one another, not just fighting militarily, but no wailing of caravans or stealing from one another or any type of harming one another. Sixth is that whatever tribes want to enter into a treaty with the Prophet and ally themselves with the Muslims, they may do so. Seventh, whatever tribe wants to ally themselves with the Quraysh, they will be allowed to do so. 
Number eight was that the Prophet cannot enter Makkah Makarma with the Sahaba this year and must return back to Medina Manora. But number nine was that the Prophet and the Sahaba can come back the following year for Makkah Makarma only to do Umrah and only for three days. So you have a three day Umrah package, right? Only for three days. And number ten is that, and when you come the next year, you may carry only the most minimal of weapons that a traveler carries for the purpose of defense, if there are any. And because other than the Quraysh, there are other Arab tribes who are not part of this deal. They may still waylay caravans, they may be criminals, highway robbers. But you may not bring anything else. And when you enter Makkah all of your weapons are to be sheathed. And you can never remove any weapon out of its sheath, out of its scabbard at any time. So the Prophet agreed with this. Sayyidina agreed with... Uh, and this treaty was made and written down in writing. And this is also Sunnah of the Prophet to put everything in writing. After the treaty was done, then he went back to Makkah uh, Mukarramah. Suhail and the Sahaba Ikram were sitting around on Hudaybiyah in a state of extreme sorrow, especially Sayyidina Umar, Midlantan, to the extent that now this is not part of the Muafiq the Umar. This is about the Tibiyat of Sayyidina Umar. So he went to the Prophet and I wouldn't say itraz, but he expressed his severe sadness at the terms of this treaty. And he went to the Prophet and said that aren't we the people on truth? Aren't they on falsehood? Isn't Jannah promised to us? Isn't Jannah their destiny? Why is it that we should tolerate this disgrace in our deen and we should return uh, without uh, Allah Ta'ala settling the matter between us on the battlefield? You know, why can't we go and do a jihad against him now? So Sayyidina said that, no, I'm the messenger of Allah Ta'ala and I will never disobey him. So now you have that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did inspire the Prophet here when it comes to the treaty and it comes to accepting the terms of the treaty. That was done on the basis of revelation sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Sayyidina Rasulullah And that's why the Prophet would not waver. Then now it's not the time for Sayyidina Umar to give shura, there's no question of muafiqat, because here the Prophet had already acted in accordance with explicit reservation, uh, revelation. Sayyidina Umar, then he went to Sayyidina Abu Bakr, and he asked the same questions, tried to convince Sayyidina Abu Bakr to say the same thing to the Prophet But Sayyidina Abu Bakr, because he was Siddiq, he never ever questioned the Prophet on anything, so he did gave the same reply to Sayyidina Umar that when the Prophet has said what he has said, that it is done. Alright. Here, there's many incidents. And I'm going to tell you one last thing that when the sah- when the Prophet told the Sahaba, then that okay, you should slaughter your animals, and you can shave your head and break ihram, and we will go back. And then when he went back to his wife, um, Umm Salma, who was the wife of Umm Mu'mineen, Umm Salma, who was traveling with him, the Sahaba didn't do it. They just remained sitting there because they were so sad, and they thought that maybe still there may be some chance. So she told him that you have to, to the Prophet, you have to have to go out. You'll have to slaughter your animal in front of all of them. You'll have to ask somebody to shave your hair in front of them, and then they will do it. And this is the way uh, the Salamakam word would say, Rasulullah and this is Hadith in Bukhari, and so this is what happened. Here, there's a long incident uh, that happened, but I'll just tell you that the. Due to a series of incidents, uh, then the Quraysh themselves then cancelled, they themselves voluntarily cancelled clause number uh, three, that any person who leaves the Quraysh in Makkah Mukarramah to join the Prophet will have to be returned to them. 
because the wording was really that they have to you have to return them back from Medina. So there were some Muslimin who returned back from Medina, but they didn't go back to Makkah Mukarramah. And they made another outpost, and from there they said, we're not part of this treaty, because we're not in Medina, nor are we Makkah Mukarramah. And they would uh, they engage in battle with the Quraysh, and the Quraysh said, then we waive this condition, we'd rather you go back to Medina Manawara. Right. Here then, now let's go back to Quran al-Kareem. Now you have the whole background, because much of the surah is going to be talking about Different things that happen in Surah, uh, in this battle of Hudaybiyah. Okay, so verse number three, we didn't translate. Aziza, so that Allah Ta'ala may help you in a, may render assistance to you the best type of assistance. So this is a suggestion that this Fatah, and most of the commentators say here, the Fatah is not, is going to refer to Fatah Makkah, that eventually that Allah Subhanahu is referring, that's in the 10th year after Hijri, this incident is the 6th year, so 4 years from now Allah Ta'ala will send this Fatah, and then this will be a Nusrat from Allah Subhanahu a mighty assistance. And this is also part of the Tasalli being given to the Prophet Sallallahu that even though they have to turn back now, Allah Ta'ala will send His assistance and victory on them later. So here is the beautiful eye of Quran. And yes, it is khas that in this Allah Ta'ala is saying that by reciting these verses, 1, 2, and 3, Allah Ta'ala has sent a sakina, a sakun, a tranquility and contentment to the hearts of the mu'mineen who were sad. But again, this ayah has a general meaning as well, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times and at any times is that being who sends sakina into the kulub of mu'mineen. And this is something that happens also when a person does the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their kalb. So one of the things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does is send that sakina into their kalb, Allah bi zikrillah tatma'inna kulub, that only and only in the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do the hearts find itminan. And what will happen due to that sakina liyazdadu imana, that so that their iman will increase ma'imanihim along with the iman that they already have, so it means Allah ta'ala will give them a higher level of intensity, a higher quality of iman, and this happens when Allah Ta'ala sends the sakina on our kulub, with Allah Jinnul Samawat Wal Ard, and then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said that to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala belong all the troops, uh, means the troops or the forces or the armies of the heavens and earth. This can refer to number one, the malaika. It can also refer to every type of force, force of nature, the force of wind, the force of earth and earthquake. To Allah Ta'ala belongs all of the forces. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing, all-wise. Then, the fifth verse which we had done before, Allah Ta'ala may admit and enter the believing men and believing women into gardens and underneath which rivers flow, that they may dwell therein forever, and Allah Ta'ala may pardon for them or waive for them all of their sins, and indeed, this this in the regard of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most tremendous success. And the other reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will do this, so this is all of the reason behind the fat. So one reason that Allah ta'ala will do the fat also is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to punish. So that Allah ta'ala may punish the hypocritical men and hypocritical women and the idolatrous men and the idolatrous women. Who are they? They are those people who think a bad opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who harbor an evil opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
alayhim da'iratasu. So what will happen to them? Then an evil turn of fortune will happen to them, and evil calamity shall befall them. Wa ghadmallahu alayhim, and Allah subhanahu is angry with them. Wa la'anuhum, and Allah Taala has cursed them, yani removed them from outside of His mercy. Wa dalahum jahannam, and Allah Taala has prepared the jahannam hell for them. Wa sa'at masira, and indeed what an evil and terrible and wretched place it is that they are going to travel to means that it's a wretched place that they are going to go to this fire of Jahannam. It's a wretched destination. And then again, Allah Ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ جُنُودُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And to Allah Ta'ala belongs the forces and armies of the heavens and the earth. وَقَانَ اللَّهُ عَزِيزًا حَكِيمًا Indeed, Allah Ta'ala is almighty, all-wise. So here, Allah Ta'ala singled out, interesting that Allah Ta'ala also mentioned that He's going to punish the idolatrous men and idolatrous women. So here's specific mention of women. Why? Because the women had the same evil view. The first thing that Allah Ta'ala said, they have a su'idhan about Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. What does that mean? Their disbelief in Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. They're falsifying Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu their wish to destroy all the Sahaba, their wish to eradicate the deen of Islam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions women here also because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, because the women have the same evil beliefs that the men do. So it shows that even if a person doesn't act on their evil beliefs, the men were going to act on their evil beliefs by engaging in military battle with the mu'mineen. The female munafiqat and mushrikat were going to do act on the beliefs, but just having the beliefs, Allah Ta'ala singles out and makes it clear. So it's a big lesson here that anybody who has su'izan, who has any evil opinion of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, ill will of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, negative thinking about Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, that is something that angers Allah Ta'ala and puts one outside of the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. That's why it's important that a person should always, always have husnizan or have a good opinion and positive thoughts about Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Then the next thing that Allah mentions yes, is that Allah will an evil calamity will befall them. So that means Allah is mentioning number one that they will either be killed or taken captive in battle, or that they will be. Uh, the the Sahaba will be victorious in Makkah, Makkah, and Fatih, Makkah. Third punishment that will happen is Allah's anger. Fourth is Allah's Allah's curse. And fifth is that Allah's Allah's prepared the fire of Jahannam for them. Now, when Allah's Allah mentioned twice here the armies of heavens and earth, it means that Allah's Allah is at liberty, at freedom to send whatever forces He wishes in this punishment. It's Allah's choice that he decided instead to withdraw the Prophet and Sahaba back to Madinah Manawara and then send them again in the 10th year of Hijri, yani at the moment of Fatih Makkah. Now when this is meant, you should note that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I've explained to you before. Inna arsalnaka shahidam wa mubashiram wa nadira. So verse number 8, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, the Nidhi sent you, Nabi Yukarim, as a witness, as a bearer of glad tidings, and as a warner. Ittu'minu billahi wa rasulihi, so that people may believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that you people may believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa tu'azziluhu, wa tu'wakkiruhu, 
وَتُسَبِّهُوهُ بُكْرَةً وَأَسِيلًا And so that you may honor and revere Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that you may glorify the praises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala بُكْرَةً وَأَسِيلًا Morning and evening. So these are three attributes of Sayyidina Rasulullah that he's a shahid. He'll bear witness over his ummah. We had done this in other early verses of Quran that he is a war- bearer of glad tidings to the mu'mineen and he is a warner to those who fail to heed iman. And this is being mentioned three triply together because in Deeth and Bukhari it comes that in the Torah Allah Ta'ala described the Prophet as having these three attributes together. Now, verse number 10. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُبَايِعُونَكَ إِنَّمَا يُبَايِعُونَ اللَّهِ يَدُ اللَّهِ فَوْكَ أَيْدِيهِمْ فَمَنْ نَكَثَ فَإِنَّمَا يَنْكُثُ عَلَى نَفْسِ وَمَنْ أَوْفَى بِمَا آهَدَ عَلَيْهِ عَلَيْهُ اللَّهِ فَسَيُؤْتِيهِ أَجْرًا أَذِيمًا So here Allah says, Indeed, those who took bear to you, and this is again referring to that bear that I had mentioned to you, that indeed those who take bear to you, Sayyidina Rasulullah, they're actually taking bear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So bear, you can say, is taking a pledge of allegiance, a pledge of loyalty. So those who took this pledge of loyalty and allegiance, uh, and then Allah ta'ala said, Yadullahi fawka aidihim, it literally means Allah ta'ala, the hand of Allah ta'ala is over their hands, which means Allah ta'ala's barakah, Allah ta'ala's nusrat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's acceptance, He has graced that uh, their bear with His acceptance. It is makabul in the law. فَمَنْ نَكَثَ فَإِنَّمَا يَنْكَثُ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ That whoever so reneges on that pledge, breaches that pledge, does so only to their own detriment. And whoever fulfills that, what fulfills that pledge, and what they have promised to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ahad they have taken to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah ta'ala will grant and give such a person a tremendous reward. What does this mean? This means that uh, Sayyidina Rasulullah, even whenever you take a pledge for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the sake of deen, actually you're taking that pledge to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in, in a couple of days in Surah Al-Mumtahina, I will explain another type of bayah, which is bayat al-Tawbah. But this bayah is known as, this was bayat al-Jihad. Every bayah that a person takes is actually a bayah taken to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with someone. In this case, the Sahaba Ikram took a bear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the bayat of Tariqah and the bayat of Tasawwuf and the bayat in which a person takes a person as a shaykh, that I will explain later. And that is coming in uh, Surah Al-Mumtahana. What does that bear mean? Here, this is a general teaching that yes, if they violate the bear that they took for the Prophet or any ahad that they make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that will be a sin. But if we are true to our promises and pledges to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah ta'ala will give us a tremendous reward. Okay. Now verse number 11 onward. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed now the desert Arabs, any of the Bedouins who remain behind, they will say to you, Nabi Akrim, our flocks and possessions and our families occupied us, kept us busy. And this is the reason they will say that we could not go to Hudaybiyah. So there were some communities, like I told you, the Prophet told everybody to come. Not everybody went. There were some people who left behind. So when the Prophet returns to Medina Manawara, uh, these, uh, this is what they're going to say. So this is why we left behind. But they will ask the Prophet, some ask forgiveness for us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says in Quran that they say with their tongues what is not in their hearts. Means they're not true. 
So say to them, فَمَنْ يَمْلِكُ لَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا إِنْ أَرَادَ بِكُمْ ذَرًّا أَوْ أَرَادَ بِكُمْ نَفْعًا بَلْ كَانَ اللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرًا They say to them, who can preempt for you, who can preempt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you? Means that who has the power to help you, like who, has, who can give you any power against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, can preempt Allah ta'ala to you, if Allah ta'ala intends any harm to befall you. And if or if Allah Ta'ala wishes any gain or good to come to you. But no, it is Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala alone who is intimately aware of whatever it is that you do. <laughs> so now Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet and that revealed to them what they really feel in their hearts. The real reason they didn't go was not because their flocks and possessions and their families had kept them busy. The real reason they didn't go was because you thought that the messengers saw some and the believers would never return to their families. And so you thought if you went with them, you would also never return to your families. It means you were worried about death. And this was seemed fine to you in your hearts. This was adorned, this notion was adorned to you in your hearts. And therefore you conceived an evil notion, you had thought an evil thing. And indeed you were a destroyed nation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indicates his wrath for these people here, that you were ruined, means that they were ruined by their selfishness. And anyone who doesn't believe, whomsoever does not believe, won't believe in Allah Ta'ala and His Prophet Indeed we have prepared a blazing fire for the, these disbelievers. To Allah Ta'ala alone belongs the dominion and sovereignty of the heavens and the earth. And Allah Ta'ala forgives whom He wills. And Allah Ta'ala will punish whomsoever He wills. But ultimately, ever Allah Ta'ala is all forgiving and all merciful. This verse was revealed to the Prophet on the way back to Medina Manovra that this is the excuses that when you go back, the people in Medina who didn't go with you, this is what they're going to say. And then Allah Ta'ala guides the Prophet in this case. So you see places where Allah Ta'ala is silent and then guiding. So here before the Prophet gets to Medina Manawra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides the Prophet and this is what they will say. This is not true. They say with their tongues what's on their hearts. And this is how you should respond to them. This is how you should respond to them. And the suggestion here is that they never truly really believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu So the commentators have two views about this. Number one is that it could have been about the Manafiqeen of Madinah Manurah who didn't join, then they were generally, yes, people who didn't really believe in the Prophet Or, it's talking about, because it says the Bedouins, right? So it means that those who were a bit weak, uh, their A'ram, they were a bit weak in their Iman, they weren't part of the Munafiqeen, nor were they outright Kuffar. So in that case, it means here when Allah is saying that if any won't believe, it, Allah Ta'ala is giving them a chance now to decide that if you... You are weak in your faith. Now either you choose to believe strongly or you choose not to believe. And anybody who chooses not to believe, then we have prepared a blazing fire for such people who choose not to believe. But then Allah Ta'ala says that currently, their current situation is that Allah Ta'ala can forgive whosoever He wants 
and he can punish whosoever he wants, but Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness and mercy is ghalib, so that is now try to invite them back to belief that yes, if they make tawbah and they ask Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness for this, instead of making their false excuses and saying, no, we didn't come because we were worried about our flocks and our families, if they make true tawbah, then Allah Ta'ala can send his forgiveness and mercy on them. And now verse number 15, so those who are left behind, they will say, when you set off to proceed to the spoils of war, what will they say? They will say, let us go and we will follow you. What is it that they want? They want to change the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you should say to them, Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that you will never follow us as you are. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, and Allah ta'ala has said so before. So then they will say, no, you are just jealous of us. But they hardly understand, Allah Ta'ala makes a declaration, but they hardly understand at all. So what is going on? That after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, another battle happens, which is the Battle of Khaybar. This is when the Muslims battled the Jews, and they conquered this fortress, uh, or the stronghold, or fortifications at Khaybar. And Allah Ta'ala had promised the many that they would get uh, this booty. So when Sayyidina Rasulullah distributed the booty that was received at Khaybar, spoils of war, he distributed that to those who were present at Hudaybiyah. And the, why? Because Allah Ta'ala revealed to the Prophet that the people of Hudaybiyah, if they had gone for jihad, and they would have won, and they would have gotten spoils of war, but because Allah Ta'ala told them not to, so Allah Ta'ala wants to make that up for them, so the booty of Khaybar should be distributed to the people of Hudaybiyah. So then in the above verse, and Allah SWT is telling now again Mu'mineen who stayed back from Hudaybiyah that soon they're going to want, uh, when you set off to take spoils, means when you set off to Khaybar for the victory which will result in spoils of war, so they will want to go with you. They will want to go with you. And they will ask the Prophet that we allow us to follow you. But Allah SWT said, no, you will never follow us as you are. Means Allah SWT reveals to the Prophet that no, they cannot come and this will only be for the people of Hudaybiyah. And if they want to change Allah's command, that no, no, please take us along. So the first interpretation of this is that they wanted to change the command of Allah Ta'ala. So Allah Ta'ala said no in Quran that they can never change the commandment of Allah Subhanahu They cannot change His decree. Second, in being allowed to come along. Second was no, they wanted to change the command in the sense that they wanted to be allowed the spoils of war even if they didn't come. Either way, then now, then they will say, and now, Again, this makes it sound like it's more like munafiqeen than weak mu'mineen. They will say, no, you were just jealous of us. Uh, what does that mean? The munafiqeen refused permission to join the expedition at Khaybar. They claimed that the reason they were refused was not because Allah Ta'ala sent His command, but because the Muslimin were jealous. So Allah Ta'ala tells them that, no, kanu la yafkahuna illa qalila. But indeed, they understand but a little. They have very little understanding. So the word here written is yafkahun. So you will know fiqh and tafakku means understanding specifically of ahkam of Quran and Sunnah, the legal laws of Sharia, and what is their basis and justification. So here, because this is the command of Allah SWT, and they were protesting against it, or they came up with the wrong reason behind the command, which they thought was jealousy. So here, that's why Allah Taala used the word yafkahun. So that means to understand the commandments of Allah Taala and to obey them and follow them and know the proper reasons and justifications behind them. All of that is called fiqh. So this concept of fiqh, fiqh al-deen, fiqh al-islam, fiqh al-sharia is in Qur'an. And that's why those people who suggest that fiqh is something else and sharia is something else. No, both words are in Qur'an, sharia and fiqh. Sharia refers to the way of halal and haram and Islamic law and fiqh refers to the understanding 
of what that way is. Now verse number 16, So oh, Nabi Akram should tell those desert Arabs, those Arabi, those Bedans who were left behind, that you will be called face to face with a people of immense strength and you will fight them uh, whom you will fight or you will fight them or they will accept the deen of Islam. Now, if you comply, Allah Ta'ala will give you a grand reward. But if you turn away, turn back and turn away like you did in the past, then Allah Ta'ala will inflict a painful punishment upon you. So here then Allah Ta'ala is mentioning in verse 16 an incident that is yet to come in the future. And what is that? So there are several interpretations on this. Number one is that who is that nation of immense strength? So some say this was the Banu Hanifa tribe uh, from Yamama who had uh, these are the people from whom Musaylim al-Kazab the false Nabi is going to come others say this refers and these were the armies that Sayyidina Abu Bakr is going to send armies of Sahab against others refer this this immense people of immense strength refers to the Romans and Persians against whom Sayyidina Umar will dispatch armies when he is a Khalifa others say this is the Bani Hawazin tribe when the battle of Hunain took place in the life of the Prophet others say it's referring to the battle of Tabuk the army that was there so there are many possibilities uh, as to what this particular thing is being, this verse future battle that's being mentioned, but the point is, is that Allah SWT is foretelling what? That either they will fight, uh, or they will accept Islam, and that if you obey, Allah Ta'ala will send a reward on you, so this is where uh, Allah Ta'ala is saying is going to give them a second chance. The second chance is not that you can go to Khyber though, but you will get a second chance later to make up for you're not going to Hudaybiyah, and that will be against a people of immense strength, and then let's see if you go or not. They say, Haraj, it means that there's no sin on the blind, meaning if there was a blind person who didn't go for jihad, so these are those people who were exempt from jihad. And you will find, unfortunately, that none of you fall in any of these categories. Laysa al-A'ma haraj, there is no blame on the blind if they don't go for jihad. Wala al-A'raji harajan, and that is the cripple, or the lame, or the one who is paralyzed, there is no haraj on them. Wala al-Maridi haraj, and on the person who is sick and ill, there is no haraj on them either. There's no blame on them. Whomsoever obeys Allah Ta'ala and His Prophet Allah admit them and enter them into gardens underneath which rivers flow. And that person who turns their back on this command, who Allah Ta'ala will inflict a punishment on them, a painful and tormenting punishment. Alright. So there were some who uh, weren't going forth on jihad for those three reasons and they were such strong mu'mineen that they were worried that, may, that they felt bad and then Allah SWT said, no, if any believer doesn't go for those three reasons, there's no blame on them. And then now here is the ayah that I recited to earlier, verse 18. لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَلَى مُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايَعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّدَرَةَ That indeed Allah Ta'ala was certainly very pleased with the believers when they pledged their bayah loyalty allegiance to you under the tree. فَأَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ And Allah Ta'ala knew what was in their hearts. 
فَأَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ عَلَيْهِمْ And Allah Ta'ala sent a sakina down onto them, which again means in their hearts, فَأَثَابَهُمْ فَتْحًا قَرِيبًا And then Allah Ta'ala will very soon reward them with a victory that is close at hand. So the first thing you see that Allah Ta'ala was pleased about that bayah that I mentioned. Second thing is that, فَأَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ Allah Ta'ala knows what's in a person's heart. So this has been understood generally that whenever anybody takes any one of the four types of bayah in our deen, well, five types of bear in our deen actually, which I'll explain to you in Surah Al-Mumtahana. I'll just explain to you here. One is this bayat al-jihad. Second is known as bayat al-iman. That some sahaba say, Na Rasulullah sallam, when they wanted to accept iman, the Prophet would take a bear from them. Third is bayat al-hijrah. That Nisnabiyya Kanim took a bear from the sahaba when they were migrating. Uh, that they would do the migration from Makkah Makarramah to Medina Minawrah. And fourth is known as Bayat al-Tawba, that is coming in Surah Al-Mumtahina, that some Sahaba mentioned in Sahih Bukhari, Kitab al-Iman, and Sahabiyat in Surah Al-Mumtahina, that Sayyidina Susan took a bear from them, that they would leave all of their sins. And all of these, and then in the fifth bear is in the, after the Prophet known as Bayat al-Khilafat, that is something that the Sahabi Akram and Tabi'in gave to the Khulafai Rashidin. So in all these types of bayah, what happens? فَأَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ That Allah Ta'ala knows what's in their hearts. So what is the niyyah that a person is in their heart? If they are sincere in their heart, and this the Sahaba Ikram were, they were sincerely doing it for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, so they got the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, Second aspect then to mention, that means that whenever we make any of any of the aforementioned types of bayah, we should do so with a heart that is sincere, and we should know full well that Allah is looking into our heart at that moment. We shouldn't do so just for the sake of doing so. We shouldn't do so because our friends are doing so. We shouldn't do so out of peer pressure. We shouldn't do it out of trends. It should be heartfelt. Everything in deen should always be heartfelt. Second aspect to note here in this ayah is that Allah subhanahu wa is mentioning about all of the mu'minin who were there, the 14, 1500 sahaba, which includes Sayyidina Abu Bakr, which includes Sayyidina Umar, that Allah subhanahu wa is pleased with them. So this ayah is also part of what we had mentioned, the shan of sahaba, that Allah subhanahu has shown his ridwan, his pleasure for sahaba. Therefore, anyone who thinks that Allah ta'ala is displeased with sahaba, let alone anyone who thinks that Sahaba are disbelievers. Anyone who thinks that Allah Ta'ala is displeased with Sahaba Ikram, they will be going against this ayah of Quran and their iman will be questioned and their iman will be in danger. Right? And may Allah Ta'ala save us from any and all false sectarian ideology in which the great and noble companions of Sayyidina Rasulullah are maligned. So this laqad radiyallahu al-mu'mineen and mu'mineen means the Sahaba Ikram and includes Sayyidina Bakr, Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Uthman and Sayyidina Ali radiyallahu ta'ala al-majma'in and many other Sahaba who were there. And maghanim is from the plural of, it means the ghanima, means the spoils of war or the booty that, so Allah is saying, in abundant spoils of war, which they will take, yaakhudunaha, they will take it, wakanallahu aziz and hakima, and that means the continuation was verse 18, Allah is going to grant them a a close victory, and Allah will give them spoils of war that they will take, and indeed Allah is almighty all wise. Right.
So again, the first instance, the most close instance here, because Allah Ta'ala has mentioned Fatan Kariba, so the vast majority of commentators say this refers to the very next battle, which was the Battle of Khaybar, and also because verse 19 also happened there, that the Muslims received a tremendous amount of spoils of war when they marched against the Jews of Khaybar. Alright? And Allah Ta'ala is almighty. It means that Allah Ta'ala has the might to grant victory to whomever he wills. But he's also all wise. It's his wisdom Allah Ta'ala will decide who and when the victory is given to. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala did not want them to uh, be victorious in Makkah Mukarramah then. But Allah Ta'ala will want them to be victorious in Makkah Mukarramah on the 10th of Hijri means on Fateh Makkah. So same thing, verse 20, Allah Ta'ala has promised you abundance powers of war. That you will be able to take. And Allah subhanahu wa will hasten this to you. means he will grant it to you immediately. Literally means Allah Ta'ala will strain the hands of people from you. And this is to be a sign for the believers. So that Allah Ta'ala may guide you to the straight path. So what does it mean that the hands of the people... Uh, Allah Ta'ala will keep the hands of the people away, restrain the people's hands from you. So number one, actually what happened was that the Jews in Khaybar had planned all types of schemes with which they wanted to attack the Muslimin in Medina Manawra. Some also say that they had planned actually to attack the few Muslimin who remained back after the rest had gone for this Umrah and were at Hudaybiyah. But Allah Ta'ala restrained their hands. I mean, Allah Ta'ala somehow made them not follow up on their intention, not follow through with the evil plot. This was what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had done. Alright? Uh, here there are many interpretations of this uh, verse, but it means here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has restrained the hands of the enemies of Islam from the believers, and that itself is a sign for the believers, so they make it further guided to the straight path. And then there are still other Yet more mm, victories that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to promise to the believers. Lam taqdiru alayha, which however you have not yet been able to attain the capability or power to do it. However, kal ahadallahu biha. However, Allah, it is well within Allah ta'ala's knowledge and power. Means he has already decreed that future victory for which you do not yet have uh, the capability to do. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over each and every single thing. And if those who disbelieve fight you and engage you in aggression, and then they will turn their backs. And they will find no protector, no ally, no wali, no friend against you. And they will find no helper, no savior to rescue them from you. So here Allah Ta'ala is mentioning the nature of that fat, that what will happen when they fight you, you will have such a victory that they will turn their back and flee from you and they will have no ally and protector from you and they will have no helper and rescuer for you from you. Sunnatullahi allati kan khalat min qabl And indeed this is the custom and practice of Allah Ta'ala that has existed since before, that has passed from before. وَلَن تَجِدَ لِسُنَّةِ اللَّهِ تَمْدِيلًا And indeed you will not find any change in the custom and practice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So these other victories, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Basman, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Basman has mentioned that these victories are all the victories that took place after this. Some have said that this refers to all the victories that take place after the Prophet ﷺ passes away, such as the, uh, the victories over the Romans and Persians and so many Futuhat in the time of the Khulafah Rashidun. Other Sayyidina Hassan Basriyanta says no, it refers to just Fatih Makkah. Sayyidina Ikrama says it refers to the victory at the Battle of Hunain. Sayyidina Mujahid, he said that it refers to all of the Futuhat that all the Ummah will have all the way up to Yom al Qiyamah. And so if you take that position, then this is an ayah that one, if one was engaged in that noble cause, one would be reciting this ayah, often verse number 21. 21 and 21 to 23, all three of those verses. And because Allah subhanahu specifically, uh, specifically in verse number 23, Allah subhanahu you will not find any change in Allah's practice. If mu'mineen come with such a heartfelt, sincere intent, and in a just just war, in a just jihad, justified by the deen, then Allah Taala's promise is there, Allah's mother, the Nusrat is still there, and there are still yet many victories that we have not been able to attain, um, but on Allah Taala's knowledge that we have that ability to attain it, may Allah Taala enable the ummah to regain that ability. And Allah Taala is the same, uh, going on the same notion of restraining hands or keeping hands. So it's Allah Taala who withheld their hands, their hands from you. And Allah Taala has shown your hands from them in the heart of Makkah Mukarma. Min alayhim after you had gained after making you dominant or victorious over them. And indeed Allah Subhanahu knows uh, Allah Subhanahu is all aware and all seeing over each and every single thing that you do. Again, several possibilities about this verse. First is that when the treaty was concluded between the Mu'mineen and the people of Makkumakarama Sayyidina Salma ibn Aqwa radiallahu was lying underneath the tree and then four mushrikeen of Makkah passed by him and uttered disrespectful words regarding Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu So Sayyidina Salma radiallahu he went to them, uh, he went away and lie, went to lie down behind another tree and then when the four of them hung up their swords to lie down, Sayyidina Salma went to his sword and he seized them. He took their swords and he drew his own and he said that I swear by the being who has granted honor to the Prophet I shall sever uh, your heads uh, if any one of you even lifts your heads. And then he took them as prisoners to the Prophet And then when he reached the Prophet his uncle Amr had brought 70 captives to the Prophet and the Prophet forgave all of them. This is a long hadith in Sahih Muslim. The point is that Allah restrained their hands from you and their hands from you and your hands from them. Meaning that these mushrikeen did not draw swords against Sayyidina Salma and restrain your hands from them is means that also because Allah Ta'ala wanted the Sahaba to be true to the treaty that the Prophet had conducted with the Kufar of Quraysh. There's another incident in Sahih Muslim. There's several incidents uh, that could all in Hadith any and all of which could fall under the scope of this ayah.
الحرام, that they are the ones who have disbelieved and they stopped you from Masjid al-Haram and they stopped you from going to the Kaaba wal-Hadya and they stopped the sacrificial animals from being taken there and being offered in uh, Udhiya to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Yeah, ma'kufa. They stopped the sacrificial animals who were restrained from reaching their place of sacrifice. That they reach their place of sacrifice. Okay, if it were not for uh, the this restraint was on account of the believing men and believing women who you don't know. Lam ta'lamuhum. So who you were unaware of, antata'uhum, and you unaware and unknowingly suffering harm on your account, fatusibakum minhum ma'arratum bi il. What is this referring to? Right. Well, let me finish. Liyusallallahu fi rahmatihi. Allah would have admitted to His mercy, whom whosoever He wants. Lo tazayyalu la adzabna alladhina kafaru minhum adzaban alima. And those who uh, were to separate, if the believing Muslim men and women to separate, then we will inflict a painful punishment on the disbelievers. Alright, what is this referring to? So, first thing, number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemned the mushrikeen from, uh, for forbidding the Muslims into entering Masjid al-Haram and for preventing them from slaughtering the sacrificial animals. And why Allah ta'ala is mentioning this, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning this that Almost you could even say Muafiqat Umar. Then I was mentioning that yes, this was a crime that did merit and warrant and justify you to engage them in jihad because they committed these uh, evil deeds and they committed this sin. Second, that there were many Muslim men and Muslim women in Makkah Makarama, the identities of whom were unknown to the Muslims. Right? What does that mean? That there were people in Makkah Makarama who had secretly accepted Iman and who could not reveal that some slaves to their masters, some people who could not reveal it to their elders. And if Fatih Makkah had taken place then, as opposed to in 10th Hijri where it's going to be bloodless, this Fatih Makkah would have been bloody. This would have been a massive battle. And then Allah Ta'ala is saying that you, if you had been commanded to fight the people of Makkah Makarramah, then these innocent Muslims who you didn't know who they were, they may have been unknowingly trampled underfoot, literally means harmed by the Sabiqram because they lived amongst the Kuffar. So that's another reason Allah Ta'ala is saying that I didn't allow the battle to take place uh, out of regard for those believers of mine who are unknown to you, who are in Makkah Makarramah. These are those Muslims who are unable for multitude of reasons, unable to migrate to Medina Manawra. And therefore the treaty was what Allah Ta'ala had preferred. Then last one Allah Ta'ala says He will enter into His mercy. Allah Ta'ala saying that even your intention in the Malabinyat, that even without waging the jihad, Allah Ta'ala will reward the believers for the intent will enter them into His mercy due to their intention to do jihad when it was the right thing to do. And lastly, that if these, uh, if if the Muslim men and women in Makkah Makarma were able to separate from the people of Makkah, then Allah Taala says, then we would have inflicted a painful punishment on the kuffar of Makkah Makarma. So the notion is that the presence of the believers 
in their midst of the disbelieving community was something that had prevented the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, this can remain true today, that if people today are believers living in non-believers' lands, but if they are believers of the caliber of the mu'mineen and mu'minat and muslimin and muslimat who are secretly having iman and makkah makarama, then their very presence can sometimes be something that prevents the painful punishment inflicting the, disbel- the community, community of disbelievers. Now verse number 26. And when the disbelievers... Uh, Hamiya means prejudice or you can say a partisanship, a fanaticism. When the, when the disbelievers took this partisan, fanatical prejudice in their heart, uh, and what was that? That was Hamiyatun Jahiliya. That was the prejudice and the fanaticism of Jahiliyyah, of the age of ignorance. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَةُهُ عَلَى رَسُولِهِ Allah Ta'ala sent His Sakina on the, His divine peace and grace on the Prophet وَعَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And on the believers. وَأَلْزَمُهُمْ كَلِمَةَ taqwa And then Allah Ta'ala enjoined upon them the kalima of taqwa. The word of piety means the way of piety. مَقَانُوا أَحَقَّ بِهَا and indeed, they were the most worthy of that taqwa, wa ahlaha, and they were deserving of that taqwa. And indeed, Allah has ilm of each and every single thing. What does this mean? So, this himya, this is the prejudice due to which prejudice or partisanship or fanaticism from jahiliya, due to which they did not allow the mu'mineen to enter Makkah Mukarramah for that Umrah. And this is referred to any jingoism, patriotism, prejudice, bigotry, uh, any such act that is done on that basis. Uh, and this is what we had mentioned to you, and this is also going to be referring to the way uh, that they opposed writing the treaty with Bismillah al rahim and they opposed the Prophet calling himself Rasulullah in that. So what did Allah Ta'ala do in response? And this is again a verse that can still be true today, that when mu'mineen are faced with prejudice and discrimination and fanaticism and bigotry from non-believer individuals or from non-believer communities, then Allah Ta'ala can send a sakina into the hearts of those believers. So this is what happened here. Allah Ta'ala sent a sukoon in the heart of the Prophet and the heart of the mu'mineen. And then... In you, the next year when they came back, they came back and they were able to perform the Umrah without any fight whatsoever. Then here in the Kalima taqwa right? Some say this refers to Kalima La ilaha illallah. Some say it means the phenomenon of taqwa itself. But here again is a shan of Sahaba because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَلْزَمَهُمْ So alzam literally means, you know, to make lazim means Allah Ta'ala adorned them with this inseparable attribute of the path of taqwa. means this ayah is establishing that all sahaba ikram are muttaqeen. Muttaqeen. Earlier ayah established that they're all mu'mineen. This ayah establishes that all sahaba are muttaqeen. Allah, and they were the most worthy and deserving to be muttaqeen. So this means that if anybody has the belief about sahaba that yes, they were mu'mineen but they sinned, so fine, we don't say they're disbelievers, we say they're believers, but we say they sinned, they didn't have taqwa, they were mu'mineen fasikin, then that is also against this ayah of Qur'an. 
That's why any sect that views any Sahaba as either a Kafir or views any Sahaba as even a Falsik, that sect is going against these verses of Quran and that sect lies outside the pale of Islam. And indeed, Allah Ta'ala knows everything. So that being who knows everything, it's not for a historian who maybe have a prejudiced information or prejudiced account to write us and tell us what the Sahaba did or didn't do, or whether they were on Iman or they were not, or whether they did taqwa or they didn't. Allah Ta'ala has all the ilm, وَقَانَ bikulli shayin alima. So always remember a golden sentence that our ulama mashayik teach, we will not make our judgment about Sahaba based on what any historian has written because we don't know about the reliability of the account of that historian, whether that historian had prejudice or whether their information is accurate. We will just like everything else in deen and in fact everything else in dunya, we will base our decision on that based on the information in the Quran and the Sunnah so because the Quran, Kalam of Allah SWT, the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah establishes without a doubt that all of the Sahaba are Mu'mineen, Muttaqeen, then that is the fact and every historian's account will have to be subordinated to that fact. Any historical account that is in accordance with that, we can accept it as history. Any historical account that is not in accordance with that, we will view such history as fabricated. So we're not going to take our view about Sahaba from historians. We're going to take our view of Sahaba from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in Quran that Sahaba are mu'mineen. They have the ridwan, the pleasure of Allah ta'ala. Sahaba are muttaqeen. That Allah ta'ala has made taqwa lazim, an inseparable attribute of them. That they were people who were the most deserving and worthy of that taqwa. And وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ alima. Allah Ta'ala knows everything that the Sahaba did in the life of the Prophet He knows all of those things that happened after the Prophet was going to pass, after Prophet passed away. He knows everything that the Sahaba were going to do in their whole life. And knowing all of that, this is how Allah Ta'ala has described Sahaba Ikram in Quran. And so we can never ever waver from this in any way. No future events, because there is nothing that is future to Qur'an. The Qur'an is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa means it's one of his sifat. It's a sifat in Allah subhanahu wa and his zat and sifat transcends all time and space. So just like the Qur'an al-Karim is a universal message in terms of space, it is also a universal message in terms of time. لَقَدْ صَدَقَ اللَّهُ رَسُولَهُ Yet indeed, <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa will make a ru'ya bil haq. Allah subhanahu wa will make the dream of His Messenger sallallahu come true in reality. And indeed, you will certainly, surely, assuredly, undoubtedly enter the Masjid al Haram, yani Makkah, inshaAllah, whensoever Allah ta'ala wills, amineen, absolutely secure. مُحَلَّكِينَ رُؤُسَكُمْ وَمُقَسِّرِينَ That either they will have their heads shaved or their hair cut short. لَا تَخَافُونَ And no fear whatsoever. فَعَلِمَ مَا لَمْ تَعْلَمُوا And Allah SWT knew what you did not know. فَجَعَلَ مِن دُونِ ذَلَكَ فَتْحًا قَرِيبًا And other than this, Allah Ta'ala has uh, and granted a ready victory besides this. And Allah Ta'ala's being who has sent his messengers with Huda, with the Hidayah, with Deen al-Haq, and with the Deen of Truth, 
so that Allah Ta'ala may make this deen ghalib and dominate and literally yudhira to reveal it and to make it apparent but Allah means over to make it apparent and dominant over all other deens and indeed Allah Ta'ala is sufficient as a witness so what is this dream? So before Sayyidina, before Sayyidina Sussam and the Sahaba Kram left for Hudaybiyah, Sayyidina Sussam saw a dream in which he and the Sahaba were entering the Haram boy with their head shaved and others with their hair trimmed. This is, by the way, gives you the thing that, yes, there were some Sahaba who did Qasr, right? And the Prophet saw them doing Qasr. So notwithstanding that their halak is abdal, that is preferred when a person breaks ihram to shave their head and as a way of our mashaykh and ulama always to go for the abdal nonetheless qasr is an option to trim the hair and this is an option that sahaba ikram also did make use of that option to trim one's hair instead of shaving it this is all for the men so here when the Prophet also had told the Sahaba Kram this dream before they left. So that's another reason why the Sahaba was so sad that that dream didn't get fulfilled. So this is an answer to that. That no, indeed Allah Ta'ala is surely, certainly going to make that dream of His beloved Messenger Islam come true. But this will happen when? Insha'Allah. This will happen when Allah Ta'ala wills. And you will enter Aminin as opposed, in Aman as opposed to now you would have had to enter in force and battle. And Allah Ta'ala knows everything. Uh, Allah Ta'ala has knowledge of that which you are unaware, knowledge of that which you don't know. Then lastly, then when Allah Ta'ala says, this deen is haq and this deen is true, right? And so that may overcome all deen. So we did this last year, Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 33. The same thing is clear that deen of Islam once it has come, and we did this topic several times last year that there is no other deen that can be accepted, no other deen that can exist in a level of acceptance. So it didn't mean that Islam says the deen of Islam allows Ahlul Kitab to continue with their deen and if they're living in a Muslim territory and they pay the jizya, because they don't pay zakat, so they pay a jizya, they pay a tax for the protection and security that the Islamic State will give them, they're allowed to continue their own deen, but they will not be allowed to preach their deen to, to Muslims because their deen is viewed as something that is not ghalib, it's maghlub. So this is not, this doesn't mean compulsion in religion, but it means the establishment of Islam as the supreme deen. In any territory where it is established as the supreme deen, that is what you call the quote-unquote Islamic state, in such a territory, any other deen, they will be allowed to worship whatever they want, and however they want, right? Uh, and even in the Islamic Mughal period of India, although that was shirk because the Hindus were practicing shirk, but this was the ruling of the ulama that once we have established the Mughal empire according to Islamic law, then we can even let the Hindus continue their shirk in their temple because Islam has been made ghalib. Islam has been established as the state religion on this territory. That is what Allah subhanahu wa wants. And then when all of the laws and equity and justice and fairness of Islam is enacted, then it's understood that there will be no need ever to use any force. People will accept deen anyway. Why? Because one reason people won't accept Islam, even though seeing the truth of it, is when they are ghalib. So this is what happened to the kuffar of Makkah Mukarramah, the mushrikeen of Makkah. They saw the truth, justice, fairness, equity of Islam, but they couldn't accept it because in Makkah, their deen was still ghalib. 
And as long as their deen was ghalib, it was an impediment to them to accept Islam. So that's what the teaching of Islam is, that on every territory, Islam should be made ghalib. But then you have to force the people to accept Islam. But once you enact Islam, they will themselves be living in an Islamic society amongst true believers. Again, that's far from our reality as an ummah today. But if they live in a true Islamic society amongst true believers, then the overwhelming truth of Islam will make them want to convert the only one thing that used to hold them back, that what's the point because we're in power anyway, and our religion is in power anyway, that will be finished because Islam will be the ghalib religion of that Islamic state. Alright? Still, however, still a person is given freedom because one looks historically, uh, definitely not everybody converted, and large communities of Jews and Christians in the Ottoman Empire and Muslim Spain across seven, eight hundred years were given every protection and even atheist historians say that that was a society of justice, equity, and fairness, but they still chose to remain Jews and Christians, so even that option is still there. Alright? Verse number 29 is last verse of the surah, and again, special mention of Sahabi Ikram, Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu that the Muhammad sallallahu is the messenger of Allah sallallahu and all of those who are with him, again, each and every Sahaba Ikram who are with him are what? Ashidda'u, Ashidda'u, Adriba'u, Ashidda'u, Al-Kuffar. That they are extremely severe on the disbelievers. Ruhama'u, Zuraba'u, Ruhama'u, and they are extremely merciful between and amongst themselves. All of this is Jamal Muqassar of Ism Fayl. What can we do? Right? So they're extremely stern against the kuffar and they are extremely merciful between and, um, and compassionate amongst and between themselves. sunjada That you will see them making ruku, you will see them doing sajda. Yabdahuna fadlam min Allahi that they are seeking the fuzzle of Allah Subhanahu His fuzzle, His karam, His bounty, His grace, His blessing, Wurdhana, and they're seeking the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu Simahum fi wujuhihim min atharis sujood, and then you will find a mark. Simahum means their hallmark or their sign or their alama, right? Is on their faces, uh, on their foreheads, min atharis sujood from the the tradition, from the traces of their prostration means from the effect of their sajda. And Dalaka Mathalahum fit Torah. And this is exactly how they are described in the Torah. Means the Torah even mentioned the Sahabakram. So the Ahl Kitab not only did they see that the Paltasam had was according to the signs that were given. The Sahabar were like that also. And just like that, they've mentioned in the Jeel. So again, this is showing the immense Sha'an of Sahaba. That this is that Jama'ah that Allah Ta'ala has revealed previous books and previous prophets to about their greatness and about their sign. What does it mean that the end is that says that that they are like a seed that sprouts its shoots they are like a seed that sprouts its shoot and makes it then strong and sturdy after which then it stands upright on its stem and it delights the one who has sown that seed, 
but it incenses, it brings the yagid, the behimul kufar, brings them to ghayid, it incenses and angers the disbelievers. And then Allah Ta'ala says, and Allah Ta'ala has promised the ones who have iman and those who do righteous actions, maghfiratun wa ajran adhima, a forgiveness and a tremendous reward. Right? So here there are many virtues of Sahaba Ikram mentioned over here. First that they are stern on the kuffar. What does that mean? That those who are enemies of deen, those who are aggressing against deen, it's those are the kuffar that are meant here, that they are stern with the believers, they are strong against them, they are ashad, they are strong in repelling the unlawful, unjust, violent aggression of, dis- of violent disbelievers. And ruhama'u, and then they are compassionate and merciful between themselves, means they have love and kindness and mercy for one another. And so this is also meant to be a sunnah for all mu'mineen, because Sahaba Ikram are a model for us. In fact, Allah is mentioning that they are a model, that their model has been mentioned in Torah and Injil. So if they were a model for the people who received the Torah, a model for the people who received the Injil, then certainly they should be a model for the people who received Quran. So this ayah is also establishing that Sahaba Ikram are a model for us. Contrary to yet another ideological, I wouldn't call it a sect, but it's an ideological movement that is always trying to suggest to people that no, all the Sahaba aren't like stars and you can't follow all of them and you can, you should, many, if you really go deep into their books, they even suggest, and these are the quote-unquote Salafi or Al-Hadith, they even take issue with Sahaba Quran Ijtihad and they say Sahaba were against Hadith and Sahaba were against Sunnah. And you have to follow Hadith, you can't follow the Sahaba. But that's a ludicrous statement. Sahaba are the Sunnah. Sahaba are part of the Sunnah. Sahaba are embodiment of the Sunnah. Sahaba are legacies of the Sunnah. Right? So all the ijtihadat of the Sahaba are correct. That is the position of the ulama ahl sunnah wal jama'ah. And they are all of the Sahaba are a model for all of us. We believe in jama'at al-Sahaba. We believe in the entire collective of the Sahaba ikram. And then they make ruku and they make sadza. This is referring to the abundance of salah. That sometimes you see them doing ruku, see them doing salah, means they do so much salah. And Allah Ta'ala then mentioned the reason why they do that ibadah is they want the fazl of Allah Subhanahu and Ridvan, means they're mukhlis, they're khalis, they're sincere. They want the blessings from Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, bounties from Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, favors from Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, that is fazl. And they want ridvan, they want to please Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Then this mark, uh, on their forehead, some uh, have said that this is literally a physical mark, and others have said, no, it was a nur on their forehead, there was a nur on their brow or on their forehead, that came from sajda, right? So it's not necessarily a physical mark. And in this day and age, anybody who has that physical mark does not necessarily mean any level of piety. Piety is based on the condition of the heart, not the pattern of the skin on the forehead. Right? Uh, I've already explained to you the fact that their model being in Torah and in Jew, what does that mean? Uh, the last thing, right, that they, what is that definition of that model? Like a seed that sprouts the shoot. So what does it mean when a farmer sows the seed for his crop? So the first sign of that harvest that he is expecting is when it sprouts into shoots, when it first appears and sprouts into shoots. So that, uh, but in the beginning, those shoots are fragile and weak. 
but then they become strong, they become firm, they become thick stems, and this is what Allah is saying, and it makes it strong and sturdy, such that it stands upright on the stem on its own. Now just like that, the Sahaba of Nabi Yaqim were initially a small group of people, numbers-wise, in Makkah But then by the time after the Hijrah, then they became a Jama'at. So again, it's clear that this ayah, as well as the Torah, as well as the Injil, looks and refers to Sahaba Manhayth al-Jama'ah as a collective, as a unit, as a mass, as a group. And so then, when they started out as few in number, but then they grew and grew and they made it strong and sturdy, such that they stand upright on its stem, means they're upright on their own. They're upright, the Qur'an is testifying to the upright, the adl of the Sahaba Kram and the Jama'at on their own. And then delights the ones who sows them, means Sayyidina Rasulullah was delighted with the Sahaba Kram. He loves the Sahaba Kram. And... Uh, all right. And then Allah subhanahu wa then states a blanket rule that the last part is not just for Sahaba, Alladina Amanu Amin Salihat is not just Sahaba, that's a general rule that anyone who has Iman and who does Amal Salih, uh, then Allah subhanahu wa promised them his mug for his forgiveness and Allah subhanahu wa promised them a tremendous reward. So you saw in Surah Fat several places, verse 4, verse 5, verse 10, verse 26, verse 18, verse 26, verse 29, where Allah subhanahu wa has declared many of the fadail of the Sahaba in the Surah. So this is a special aspect of Surah Al-Fat. Alright, Surah Al-Hajrat we're going to do after the break, which is Surah number 49. So I'm just going to go and do Surah Qaf a little bit with you. So we... Move to surah number 50. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajeem bismillah rahman rahim Qaf al-Qur'an al-Majeed Allah Ta'ala qaf al-Ruf al-Muqatiyat Then again Allah Ta'ala as many times in the Hawameem Allah Ta'ala after Ruf al-Muqatiyat would swear by the Qur'an Wal-Qur'an al-Majeed Now here it's being referred to not Tanzeel, not Kitab, but Qur'an And this is why many times in this culture people refer to Qur'an as Qur'an al-Majeed Right? So this is in Quran. Well, Quran al-Majid, and indeed the glorious and majestic Quran. Right? Glorious or majestic, either of you can recite it. Bal ajibu anja'ahum mundirum minhum. But yet they're astonished that they think it's strange, and they find it strange that a warner has come to them from their own selves. And the disbelievers say that indeed this is an astonishing thing. What a'idha mitna وَكُنَّا Then what is it that when we have died and when we are dust means we will, but it means that we will be brought back to life when we have died and when we are dust. ذَلَكَ الرَّجْعٌ بَعِيدٌ And indeed this is a far-fetched رَجْ uh, means it's a far-fetched رَجُوْ It's a far-fetched resurrection. So Allah SWT says and indeed we know what part of them the earth consumes. Meaning that you're saying going to be turab, you will settle and become dust. We know what part of dust it is that you will become. We know exactly those particles that you will decompose into. And in with us is the protected work, is, is the protected book, is the protected record. But indeed then they falsify the truth. When it comes to them, And they are in a confused state. They remain in a state of confusion. 
أفلم ينظروا إلى السماء هل ذا نات جيزت أبان الستاي فوقهم ذا نزل بلدم كيف بنيناها how that we have constructed that sky وزيناها and how we have adorned and beautified that sky ومالها من فروج and look that there are no gaps in that sky no cracks in that sky والأرضة and have they also not looked at the earth مددناها that we have laid it out or spread it out وقينا فيها رواسيا and we have placed mountain placed and set upon it mountains وَأَمْبَتْنَا فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ زَوْجٍ بَهِيجٍ And that we have grown every, uh, we have grown upon that earth every beautiful species. تَبْسِرَةً وَذِكْرًا لِكُلِّ أَمْدٍ مُنِيبٍ And indeed all of these signs is a tabsira, is an eye-opener. Someone can open the eye, open the basira, open the perception and insight. And is also a dhikra, is a reminder for لِكُلِّ أَمْدٍ مُنِيبٍ for every servant and slave who turns toward Allah Spanta, who is Munib, who is penitent and repentant. When the Zanda min Samai Ma'an, and Allah says we have sent down rains, Mubarakan, blessed rain from the sky, and we use and, and we have uh, making gardens grow thereby, and seeds yielding crop. And we have made tall, lofty date palm trees. With layers and layers of interwoven branches, uh, it means fruit stalks. Rizkan lil ibad. All of this has been made as a risk, as a sustenance and provision for ibad for Allah Ta'ala's creatures. Wahayna bihi baldatam meita. And Allah says we have revived uh, dead land thereby. Kadalik al khuruj. And just like that shall the resurrection be. So this is a similar topic that we have done, but in detail here Allah Ta'ala is mentioning in Surah Kaf. Tawheed, Qiyamah, Resurrection, major, uh, the major concept of Iman. Number one, Allah Ta'ala says that He swears by the Qur'an. So Allah sponsors swearing by the Qur'an, the cream that He revealed that it is the Qur'an of Majid. Uh, but still, people refuse to believe in the Prophet Sallallahu in this Qur'an. And the first thing they say is that they're not able to believe in resurrection. That's the first question they raise. This whole long passage, Allah Ta'ala has shown that He can bring things back to life. He can enliven the dead land that has become barren and infertile. He can cause things to grow from it. He can do all of those things. So this tabsara means Allah Ta'ala is opening their eyes and trying to grant them insight to the creative power of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that He is Al-Khaliq and being Al-Khaliq means He gives life, gives death, re-gives life, gives death. This is the way of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So just like Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has done all of that, He can revive the dead bodies of human beings on the Day of Judgment. Verse number 12, the Nullah Spantil mentions uh, something that we've done many times, uh, the stories of the earlier Prophets and indeed, even before these, Mushrikeen of Makkah what happened? The people of New rejected truth before him. So did Ashab al Rassi. Ashab al Ras, uh, we call it the, the companions of the well, and Thamud, and the people of Thamud, and Ad, and the people of Fir'aun, and Wa Ikhwan al Lut, and the brethren of Lut, and Wa Ashab al Aka, and the people of the place called Aka, Wa Tubba, and we did this before, we've done Aka and Tumba before, and the people of Tumba, Kullun Kaddabal Rusullah Fahakka Wa'id, and each and every one of them repudiated the messages that were sent to them, Fahakka Wa'id, and therefore they deserved my warning and threat that has come to them. And then Allah says that did we ever get tired with the first creation? 
بَلْهُمْ فِي لَبْسٍ مِّنْ خَلْقٍ جَدِيدٍ That no, but rather they are in doubt in concerning the new creation. What does this mean? So the people of Riz, and we did in Surah Furqan, Surah 25, people of Eka, we did in Surah Shura, Surah 26, people of Tumba, we did just yesterday, day before in Surah Dukan. All of these are communities to whom Allah Ta'ala had sent His prophets and messengers. When Allah Ta'ala says, do we get tried with the first creation? What Allah Ta'ala means is that Allah Ta'ala does not, it's a mocking question. Allah Ta'ala cannot face any, feel any fatigue that after He's created once, He cannot create again. It's very easy for Allah Ta'ala to create once, and again, and then again, and again, Allah was not worn out by their first creation, but they are still in confusion about the second creation. And Allah says, indeed, we have created man, and we are aware of the wasawis, we are the wasawis that enter into his nafs, we are aware of whatever thoughts they think in their nafs. وَنَحْنُ أَقْرُبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ And Allah says that we are even more intimately close to them than their حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ than their crowded artery. Most people translate it as jugular vein, but one doctor told me that they shouldn't be more properly translated as crowded artery. Allah Right? But we are more closer to them than that. حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ is really the blood vessel that is the ultimate source of life. And whether that is crowded artery or jugular vein, the doctors will have to decide. But that's what it means in Arabic. The most primarily important blood vessel or pathway in the body that goes through the neck and it reaches up into the head. Alright. First thing, what is Allah Spantal saying? So Allah Spantal knows every single thing that is in our nafs. So ma tuwaswasubihi nafsuhu. This can also be understood to be an ishara towards latifi nafs. That whatever wasawas, whatever whisperings, whatever desires that come inside a person, Allah Ta'ala knows. And then Allah Ta'ala says that we know we're even closer to Ma'akrabu. We're even closer to Him than His own crowded artery. So this suggests, now this means physical, because Allah Ta'ala is not, it's not physicality or spatiality. It means Allah Ta'ala's awareness, Allah Ta'ala's madad, Allah Ta'ala's nusrat, Allah Ta'ala's mayyat. In every awareness, Allah Ta'ala is closer to us than even our own self. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions the two angels. So in verse number 17, that the two observers uh, are in attendance. Uh, there are two receiving angels who receive it. Again, the two observers are attendants sitting on the right and the left. I mean, these are the Karam and Katibin, who are the scribes uh, that Allah Ta'ala has appointed on our right and left shoulder who record and receive every single act that we do. Ma yalfudum in kolin. That there is no word that they utter. No one utters a word. That except they will find a ready watcher, ready observer and watcher to record it. And then the pangs of death, the stupor of death, the pangs of death, the grip of death will come with truth. And this is amongst those things that you would avoid, that you were fleeing from. Alright. So whenever a person utters a good word, the angel on the right side records it. You utter a bad word, the angel on the left side records it. And other than that, every single deed that we do is going to be recorded in every way. There's difference of opinion about the commentators that do the angels record permissible, means neutral deeds. Deeds that have no ajr and sawab that don't have any reward and deeds that don't have any sin or not conferred with any punishment. Allah knows best. 
certainly if you make a good intention for a neutral act, that counts as a good deed. And if you make a bad intention for a neutral act, then the neutral act won't count as a sin, but you would get the sin for the bad intention. But if a person makes, let's say, a neutral act, uh, makes a neutral intention for a neutral act, then Allah Ta'ala knows best uh, whether the angels will record it or not. Then this term, Sakratul Mawt, pangs of death, throes of death, the stupor of death, the days of death, it refers to the fact that when a person is going to die, at that last moment of death, there is a stage called Sakra, which can be physical, can be emotional, can be the ruh, gradually leaving the body. And basically those who don't believe in Akhirah or who are not prepared for the Akhirah, they will dread this last moment and that's why it will be said to them that this is what you sought to escape, this is what you were trying to avoid, this is what you were trying to flee. One of the cup is suri and then the trumpet will be blown into me, the trumpet will be sounded and this is the promised day. This is all repetition from parts that we did earlier in Quran. وَجَعَلْ كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَعَهَا سَابِكُمْ وَشَهِيدٌ سَابِكُمْ وَشَهِيدٌ That every single nafs will come with a herder, a sa'iq, sa'iq, somebody who is herding it, with shaheed and who is a witness upon it. لَكَنْ كُنْتَ فِي غَفْلَةٍ مِّنْ هَذَا But indeed, certainly you were ghafil about this, you were heedless about this, and you were negligent about this. فَكَشَفْنَا أَنْكَ غِطَاءَكَ But today we are removed your veil from you, your covering from you, so that why hadid, so that your vision is keen and sharp today. As Allah Ta'ala wants every person that find you were heedless of it, Allah Ta'ala will make you see everything completely clearly. Hada and so then his companion will say to him that this is what is at hand before me. This is what I have ready. And then Allah Ta'ala will say that you should send every single stubborn disbeliever into the fire of Jahannam. Who were those people? Manna'in lil khair. That they were people manna from mana. They did extremely prevented, they severely prevented and strongly people prevented me from khair. Motandin murib. And they were people who menaced others and they fostered doubts. Uh, they were menacing and rebellious, Mu'tad and Murib, they used to harbor and create and foster droughts and distrust amongst people. There are those who fabricated other gods besides Allah a God other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So toss him and throw him and fling him into an intense punishment. Allah so then his companion will say to him, Rabbana Rabbana Ma that O Allah I O my O my Rabb, O our Rabb, I did not make him go wrong, I did not mislead him, but rather he himself was far astray, he was in the Lalim Mabid, he was in clear uh, and manifest error. So then Allah will respond, Qal لا تختصموا لدي that don't you argue before me don't dispute in my presence وَكَنْ كَنْدَمْتُ إِلَيْكُمْ بِالْوَعِيدِ I have already sent the warning to you مَا يُبَدَّلُ الْقَوْلُ لدي and the word is not the, the decree that, that my decree and command will not be changed with me وَمَا أَنَا بِذَلَّامٍ لِلْأَبِيدِ but I and I will not oppress any of the mortars in any way. I will not be unjust 
or oppressive to any of the creatures. So this is a long story of what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment. Fairly self-explanatory. What is this companion? Who is this Karin? So the first thing is that a person is going to uh, have the driver and the witness. So one interpretation says that the driver refers to the angel who will bring the person forth and the witness refers to the angels who will testify of the deeds. It means they will be his Karaman Katibin who testified to what he did and another angel will be the one who is escorting him and driving him around on the Day of Judgment. Who is the Karin? Who is the companion? So uh, some say it is a companion of this world. Some say the companion is uh, Majahid. Rehmila said the companion refers to that shaitan that had been appointed to accompany every person. We did that ayah for you yesterday or day before. And Surah Hamim Sajda, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that he appoints shaitan as companions to people who were neglecting his ways. And companion can also mean here the disbeliever uh, and the disbeliever who is destined for Jahannam. So they will be blaming one another. They will be blaming one another. But their blame and pleas to Allah SWT will be of no avail. And until it makes it clear that he has not wronged anyone or oppressed anyone in any way. So if anybody is inside Jahannam, they will be there whether they misled others or they were misled by others but still voluntarily did sin. They will be there in absolute justice. Then Allah Tazayoma Okay, this is the day that we will say to Jahannam, that are you full? Are you full to the brim? Are you full of? And the Jannat will respond, Jahannam will respond, no, are there any more? What does it mean that the dimensions of Jahannam are so vast that after even millions and millions of jinn and insan are cast into it, shaitan and shayateen are cast into it, then Allah Ta'ala will ask Jahannam that are you full? And the fire will be so raging and blazing and greedy and hungry for more fuel. So the Jahannam will respond, actually it's been filled up. Right? Allah Ta'ala has put everybody who is destined for Jahannam in there. But the fire of Jahannam is so blazing and thirsty for more fuel. So it will ask, Allah Ta'ala, Hal min mazid, is there any more that you can bring for me? Allahu Akbar. Ajeeb. Nature of the fire. And then Jannat will be brought near and in close to the Muttaqeen, the people who are conscious and feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it will not be it will not be far away. And it will be said that this is what was promised to you, to every penitent one, to everyone who is hafiz, who is guarding themselves from sin, or who is mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And who are those people? Those who used to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means even though Allah Ta'ala was unseen, means they inwardly feared Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and that inward fear led them to control their outward action. And they brought to Allah Ta'ala a repentant heart, a heart that was penitent, a heart that was attached to Him. Allah Ta'ala entered therein, and He entered into Jannah with peace. And this is the day of eternity. This is the day which you will dwell, you will be given eternal life in that Jannah. And Allah says they will have whatever they wish in that Jannah. And they will have even more in our presence. And there was even, Allah says that we have even more, even something extra for them in our presence. 
And some of the ulama have said that this mazid refers to the ru'yat of Bari Ta'ala because that is not a netma of Jannah that it will be a person's because Allah can't be ours in a possessive sense. So the extra netma that Allah Ta'ala has, mazid, that remains His, that is ladaya, that is with Him and in His presence, that is the vision of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So there's a hadith in the Sahih of Muslim. Um, which the Prophet said that Allah will ask the people of Jannah whether they want anything more and the people of Jannah will say Allah you've illuminated our faces entered us into Jannah saved us from Jahannam what else could we want and at that moment Allah will remove the veil concealing him and then they will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly and then the Prophet said there will be nothing more beloved to the people of Jannah than this and then <coughs> uh, there will be nothing more Beloved to the people of Jannah than this. Alright, so many ulama feel that this this ayah and that hadith refer to the ru'yat baritan, the didar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse 36. That Allah says that how many of the nations and generations were they that be destroyed, who are mightier than them, that be destroyed before them. So they should journey and travel from country to country through the cities and they used to ask, Halmin Mahis, that is there any escape? Is there any way that we can escape Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Indeed, in this there is a reminder. That for whomsoever has a kalb in their heart, shaheed, is it that they have been they lend an ear and they stand witness? So what does it mean? So there are three things that are mentioned here in order to get the benefit from Qur'an, heed the Qur'an, get the dhikr from Qur'an. Number one, a person has to have a qalb. A person has to have a heart or a soft heart. They can't be hard, hard, hard-hearted. And second, they have to they have to listen and be a witness over and stand witness. They have to lend an ear and stand witness means they have to listen intently. So a person has to have a qalb and second, listen intently means read, reflect, learn from the ulama, study the Quran, listen to it intently, but a person also has to have a qalb. The people who have these two things, they will be able to get the reminder and remembrance and admonishment from Quran. We created the heavens and the earth and all this between them in six days. This has come before. And no fatigue and weariness even remotely touched Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Nabi Aksim, you should endure patiently what they say. And you should uh, extol and glorify uh, the praises of your Rabb. Before the sun rises. And before the sun sets. وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ And from part of the layl فَسَبِّحُوا وَأَدْبَارَ sujood And then you should uh, from part of the in, in parts of the night we should glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well وَأَدْبَارَ sujood And after the sujood after the sajdas وَأَدْبَارَ sujood suggests that if a person has completed their salah that means that they should uh, sit and remain doing the tasbih and hamd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Others said that Al-Bari Sujood refers to Nafil Salah and other non-Fard Salah that take place after the Fard Salah. This is all fairly self-explanatory. Verse 41 up till...
45, so we can end the surah, surah Kaf, and then we take a break for Zohar. وَاسْتَمِ يَوْمَ يُنَادِ الْمُنَادِ مِنْ مَكَانٍ قَرِيبٍ That you should listen, listen for the day when the caller will call from a place nearby. يَوْمَ يَسْمَعُونَ السَّيْحَةَ بِالْحَقِّ And this will be the day that the people hear the blast or the cry. We've done this before. بِالْحَقِّ They will hear it and it be called in truth and justice. ذَلَكَ يَوْمَ الْخُرُوجِ And this is the day of resurrection when people will be extracted from their graves and brought in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed it is us and us alone who will bring to life and who we bring to death. And وَإِلَيْنَا الْمَسِيرِ And to us is the return and the journey and final destination is to us. يَوْمَ تَشَقُّكُ الْأَرْضُ أَنْهُمْ And this is the day that the earth will split open and cleave open from above them. ذَلَكَ حَشْرٌ عَلَيْنَا يَسِيرٌ And this gathering will be very easy for Allah subhanahu wa to do. نَحْنُ أَعْلُمْ بِمَا يَكُولُونَ Allah Ta'ala says, we know best what they say. وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِالْجَبَّارِ And Allah Ta'ala says, that, oh you Prophet you are not one who has power over them. You are not one who can force them. It means Allah Ta'ala knows well what the disbelievers are saying, but the Prophet cannot compel and force them. So what should the Prophet do? فَذَكِّنْ بِالْقُرْآنِ That therefore you should admonish and advise them and call them and counsel them by means of Qur'an. مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ Who is that person? That person who fears the warning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That person who fears the wa'id, the threatful warning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Such a person who has hope in their qalb, who fears Jahannam, fears the Day of Judgment, that person will be able to take admonishment from Qur'an. So the sifat that we saw here is that number one, a person should have a qalb. Number two, they should listen intently. Number three, they should fear Allah ta'ala inwardly. And number four, that they should fear Allah ta'ala's warning. When a person has all of those things, then they can get all of the heed, they can heed all of the advices and admonishments that are in Qur'an. وَأَخْرَنْ دَعْوَانَا أَلْحَمْدَ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ